Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. Our lesson this morning comes from the 10th chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, the 9th through the 20th verses. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven open and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-legged creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. And then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, For I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up into heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Friends, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I was in the sixth grade and playing Little League Baseball. My team was the Mets. We were fair. Just fair. I played left field. I had graduated from right field. It was a good move. I caught several fly balls. I caught, made one diving catch of a foul ball. It was glorious. I didn't let any of the balls go through the wicket when singles were hit to left field. Yes. At the plate, I was a singles hitter that year. I did okay. Hit a few singles. Hit a couple of doubles. Stole a lot of bases. Scored a lot of runs. It was my last year to play Little League Baseball. After that, we would play Dixie Baseball on a bigger field with bigger competition. I was excited because it had been announced at our last game in the Sunday edition of the Decatur Daily in the sports section, the all-star team would be named. And I was quite certain that I was going to be an all-star. In my mind, I deserved it. Now on the field, I'm not so sure about it, but in my mind, I was certain I was going to be an all-star. So I waited for the morning edition of the Decatur Daily to arrive on that Sunday morning. And the the newspaper guy on his uh, 
banana-seeded gold bicycle, threw it in the driveway, and I jumped on that sucker. I collated the newspaper in reverse fashion. Who cares about the front page? Who cares about the living section? Who cares about the comics? I wanted the sports. Kept looking, didn't see it. Closed it up, went through it again, and right there by the Major League box scores, it said, Decatur Little League East team, and I started reading the names. Gerald Shaw, Keith Cole, da-da-da, Billy Tao, da-da-da-da-da. Ah, Doug DeGraffenried, I made it! Yay, me, I'm an all-star. I can't believe this. I knew I deserved it, but I can't believe this. And then it said practice was 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon at Walter Jackson Field. Man, I knew where Walter Jackson Field was. That's where I went to school. That's where I played most of my ball games. It was my home field. So I walked to Walter Jackson Field carrying my, my um, glove, had my hat. We weren't allowed cleats then. I had fake rubber cleats. Got there and all my friends were there throwing baseballs and they were in their hats and had their gloves and everything was going on and I kind of walked up and everything got quiet. Yeah, didn't think too much about it. I was used to that. I got into a gang and we were throwing balls back and forth and, you know, doing all the stuff and we were talking and we were talking and they kept saying, honorable mention. I didn't know what honorable mention was, but I appeared to be one. And a couple of my other friends who were also the last three names mentioned or listed, they were all throwing the balls around and people kept saying about them, honorable mention. One sure didn't matter. I was on the team. Whether I was honorable or whether I was mentioned or not did not matter. Kept throwing the ball. Then I found out honorable mention was not good. It meant you were pretty good, but not good enough to make the team. And that night, Mr. Kendall Bass, who was over the, the Little League team, knocked on the back door of the house. Mom invited him in. He came, sat down with me and my mother. And he said, I'm sorry. There was a mistake in the way the newspaper printed the list. It should have listed you as honorable mention, which is a good thing. We're proud of you, but you're not on the team. That's how a sixth grader learned about being excluded. It's how a sixth grader learned about not being good enough. It was my first experience with insiders and outsiders. And I was an outsider. The church is the house of inclusion. Our hearts, our minds, our doors are open. Y'all come. We want everybody to be a part of our fellowship. We want to be open and, and, and friendly and inviting, and we do everything we need to do to be that and do that. But we had in our text a story that is just like a rock being thrown in a pond. And it's the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ going goyim, 
The Hebrew word goy means nations. The Hebrew word goyim is a pejorative term for Gentile. As a matter of fact, if you're in Palestine or the promised land now and they find out you're a Gentile, they'll say it under their breath, goyim. It's not a nice thing to be called in that land. But what we have with the story of Simon Peter and the centurion Cornelius is the gospel of Jesus Christ getting out of hand. You know, the Holy Spirit came and fell at Pentecost, and Chris is preaching about Pentecost next week, right? You're doing next month. He's doing next month. I, I, yeah, Pentecost is next month. I got too excited. That's what happens when you read the New Testament out of official church order. But the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost. And how is it, they ask, we hear each in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. And what happens is the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost in Jerusalem. The Jews are the home team. That list of people are just Jewish people who live in different parts of the world. So the Christian church starts within Judaism. And it would have stayed within Judaism without three what appear to be insignificant stories. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus to become the Apostle Paul, and the story of Cornelius. What appears such a benign Sunday school story is actually filled with a radical invitation, a radical inclusion of the Gentiles into the church. Why do you care? Because if the Gentiles hadn't been included, you and I wouldn't be here. We'd be something else right now. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. And immediately you need to think, wait a minute, Roman centurion, isn't there one of those at the crucifixion of Jesus? There is. The Romans had invaded Palestine. The Romans had caused the Hebrews to be subservient. The Romans were taxing the Hebrews and just basically making their lives miserable. The Hebrews, the Jews hated the Romans. And any movement that God was involved in was probably not going to involve a Roman centurion except. Cornelius was a God-fearer. Cornelius longed for God. Cornelius was looking for God, and he prayed that God would answer his prayer. And so you got Cornelius praying, and then you have Simon Peter have this weird vision. And what the vision is is basically you need to picture a tablecloth floating down out of heaven. And I'm going to go ahead and cook the images here because what it is is everything we might eat. There it is, one part of the table. You got some fried catfish over here. Then you got some shrimp and some crawfish. And oh, yeah, you've got some gumbo and jambalaya. And you've got um, pork ribs. And you've got pulled pork. And you've got ham. 
and you've got everything that Todd Clark would just turn into a glorious heavenly meal. It's right here in this corner. And the voice says to Peter, rise and eat. And Peter says, not going to do it. That's not good Jewish food. That food isn't kosher. You cannot have a Cajun and kosher food in the same breath. It doesn't exist. Kosher forbids fish without scales. It forbids crawfish and shrimp. It forbids pork. How can you be Cajun? without pork. Do you see the problem? And to be a Jew, you've got to follow all these ceremonial rules of kosher and and what is pure. And you, you can't do all this other stuff. It's what separated Judaism from the rest of the world. Cornelius wants to know about God. And God tells Peter, we're going to tell him about God, but we're not going to tell him Jewish. And what happens is the church has its first theological controversy. It's solved in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. And the big question before the church was, do they have to become Jews to be a Christian? And the answer is no. The gospel is now gone goim. The gospel has gone to the Gentiles and the gospel just goes full strength to the Gentile world. And you can see in places in the New Testament where the Jews start fighting back, where they want to reel the Gentiles in and make them Jewish. And Paul says, no, we're not going to have that. We all make our lists of people we think belong and people we would like to exclude. We don't talk about our lists, but we've all got them. Yet we know the patriarch of the Methodist Church, the one we quote a lot, John Wesley, said, If your heart is right, give me your hand. That if you believe in Christ, if you love Jesus, that's all I need to know. There are a whole bunch of peripherals around here you don't have to agree with me on. But we can take that place of agreement. We can take that place we have in common and we can move together toward godliness. If you believe in Jesus. Even Christ warned us of our desire to create a, you know, a perfect place and a perfect church. In the 13th chapter of Matthew's gospel, Jesus puts before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in the field. But while everyone was asleep, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat And then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, nope. For in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. 
Let both of them grow together until the harvest. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. Jesus is willing to tolerate a lot more imperfection than we are. Jesus is willing to tolerate and to love and to invite into his kingdom folks we would want to exclude. But what makes the story of Cornelius radical is the gospel of Jesus Christ is gone goyim. It's gone to the Gentiles. This little ripple in the pond is going to ripple out all throughout history until it ripples out to you and me. And because the Gentiles were allowed to be Christians without becoming Jews first, here we are. And here we sit. A community. A community built on love. And grace, hope, compassion, a community. You know, I struggled all week with a question I asked the Compromans last week. It was the membership vow question. Will you be loyal to the United Methodist Church and uphold it by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? And they all said yes, because Chris and I both told them that that's the question we're going to ask, and the answer to that means you join the Methodist Church. And, and what bothered me is it's such an institutional question. It's built around two notions, the notion of challenge and the notion of commitment, Will you commit yourself to praying for the church? Will you commit yourself to giving to the church? Will you commit yourself to serving the church? Will you commit yourself to being a witness for the church and for Christ? It's institutional. Our membership vows were written by a denomination to serve the denomination. Now, while commitment and challenge are important, We also need compassion and community and hope and grace. So next year, for the membership vow question, I'm going to change them. For those of you viewing in on the United Methodist channel, yes, I'm being radical. I want to change them. I think we need to ask four membership questions. And here they are. Will you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? Will you love Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Will you love your neighbor as generously as you love yourself? And will you live a whole healthy life of grace, compassion, community, and hope? And I think if we asked those questions, if we lived in those questions, if we became that kind of people. We could throw us some more rocks in the pond and create our own Methodist ripples. Three weeks ago, I think it was three, maybe even four, I asked you to call three people that you may not have seen. And some of you did. You made phone calls. I had a new challenge for you. It's one I want you to talk to one person about Jesus Christ. 
one person about Jesus Christ. And if you, you think that's stretching it for you, then I want you to invite one person to come to church, just one. Offer the invitation. I didn't say you had to bring one. I just said, make the invitation. Because what I want to do is I want to start a revival in Ruston, Louisiana. I want to start a revival in Lincoln Parish. I want to start a revival at Trinity United Methodist Church. You know how that happens? With you inviting one person. Well, what if they're not the right kind of person? You see what we did right there? That's what we do. I won't say that what the church needs is some more sinners, but the church needs some more sinners. We need need to have a little life in this place, so I want y'all to go find a sinner, okay? Whatever that means, and invite them. One person. You're thinking, one person? What difference is that? One person? We're told the story of Cornelius, a Gentile, a Roman centurion, and that one person started a whole movement that caused the gospel to go goyim. One person. It's a preacher story I love because it it shows the power of one person. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher, and he had a Sunday school class full of young adult men. And the young adult men, some of them had deep faith in Christ, some of them didn't have so much faith in Christ. And Kimball was praying, and he became burdened about one of his Sunday school participants, a fellow that was a shoe salesman. He worked in a shoe store, but he went out and sold shoes from the shoe store. And Kimball decided that he would go visit the fella that was a shoe salesman, that he was burdened about him. And so Kimball went and visited him, talked to him about Jesus Christ, prayed with him, and then said to the fella, do you want to accept Christ as your Savior and Lord? And this young man was so moved by Edward Kimball's presentation of the gospel and felt Kimball's love and grace that he said, yes, I want to become a Christian. And that man was a fellow named D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody went on to become a great evangelist and started a little theological school. Well, one night, D.L. Moody was preaching and there was this minister and scholar sitting in the um, audience. And this guy was known for his scholarship and written several books about both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the man was so moved by the Holy Spirit, he was just convinced that, that scholarship was important, being a pastor was important, but God was calling him to be an evangelist, to go out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the world. And this man's name was F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer was preaching one night and a fellow was sitting there listening and was so moved by the preaching of F.B. Meyer that he gave his life to Christ. He did the call to ministry and he became an evangelist. His name was J. Wilbur Chapman and J. Wilbur Chapman was preaching one night and a baseball player named Billy Sunday heard him preach and gave his life to Christ and followed Christ in a call to ministry. And Billy Sunday was in Charlotte, North Carolina and was setting up for another evangelist and as part of the setup started a men's prayer breakfast. And the men in this men's prayer breakfast in Charlotte, North Carolina were praying for revival in their own town. And so as a result of their prayer, they invited an evangelist named Mordecai Ham to come. And Mordecai Ham was 
a terrible preacher. He was boring and dull and nobody came to the altar and the revival went. That's a biblical term. You can find it in the book of Hezekiah. Except for the last night when one man came down and gave his life to Christ. And his name was Billy Graham. You want the conjugation of one? Edward Kimball, D.L. Moody, F.B. Meyer, J. Wilbur Chapman, Billy Sunday, Mordecai Ham, Billy Graham. What will your spiritual family look like when you invite that one person to meet Christ? Brothers and sisters, it's time to take the gospel goim again. It's time to take it out into the world. Is there folks that need to hear the good news of the grace of God in Jesus Christ? Would you stand and pray with me? Lord, we thank you that the gospel got outside of Judaism, that it went to the world, and it's still going in places we never heard of, that men and women are following the call of God and proclaiming the love of God in Jesus Christ. And we pray, O God, that we would join them as evangelists and as ambassadors of your love and mercy. God be with us as we take the gospel to our neighbors. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityruston.org.